0: I regret to have to inform you that after the last episode's experiment with proper music provided by Airbus, we're back to the usual old cobbled together nonsense. Here we go. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we sprinkle the itching powder of comedy all over the undergarments of literature. My name is Jonathan Pinnock and I'm the author of the mathematical mystery series of comic thrillers published by Farrago Books. My guest today is the writer and podcaster Polly Hall, author of The Taxidermist Lover, which was a finalist in the 2020 Bram Stoker Awards, a gold medal winner in the 2021 Independent Publishers Book Awards, and which, last but very definitely not least, was described by the New York Times, yes, that New York Times, as a shudder-inducing debut. Polly is also the host of the always interesting Procrastination Station podcast, and I especially recommend Series 1, Episode 5, because that's the one I was on. I first met Polly when we found ourselves in Celia Brayfield's seminar group in the first term of the Bath Spa Creative Writing MA back in 2014, which seems a long time ago. Hello, Polly.
1: Hello, Jonathan. Thanks for inviting me.
0: You're most welcome. You're most welcome. Yeah, God, that was, that was quite something. 2014 seems a different world, doesn't it?
1: It does. Well, <laughs> it was a different world, so... <laughs> yeah we're, we're entering into the new paradigm of meeting people on a screen
0: yeah yeah strange is so we'll talk more later about polly and her work but we'll begin by looking at the book that she's chosen to discuss which is the american satirist david Sedaris's essay collection me talk pretty one day <laughs> so what made you choose this book I was
1: finding it quite difficult to choose comic writing or something that really made me laugh out loud, because I think that's a test of how funny the writing is, is if you actually laugh, you know, make a sound rather than just Mm. in your head. And having listened to David Sedaris for many years on kind of, you know, his interviews or his or when he's on a talk show or his his spoken word I guess I found his voice really funny Mm. and it was really interesting actually picking up this book and reading it because I'm hearing his voice as I'm reading the stories and I chose this book I mean it's 21 years old now so you know, it's kind of stood the test of time because he writes about ordinary life. In a way, it's autobiographical. And he just picks up these really witty snapshots of his... Well, I believe they're his life experiences. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. He must exaggerate them.
0: I think there's a little bit of creative... um... <clears throat> yeah <laughs> but <laughs> I uh...
1: but it always kind of ends like with the joke on him mm-hmm. you know it's a conversational kind of story so some of them are very short a, a couple of pages long and this particular book is separated into two parts so the first part kind of concentrates on his upbringing in North Carolina and when he's working in New York because he's, he's from New York as well so it's little stories about observations from that time. And then in the second part, do.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so one, and then Dieu. um, he's living in France and not speaking the language. So he's basically taking the piss up himself, being this American in France. And there's just some really funny stories about that. So yeah, I don't know if you want to kind of talk specifically about certain stories, <laughs> but that yeah.
0: might be one of mm. yeah, I do have a few favourites. Yeah, mean, I I sort of went to do this the other way around because I, someone, I can't remember who it was who recommended David Sedaris. It might have been someone on that creative writing course, actually. I'm trying to remember. It might but, have been Dixie because she's a big fan as well. I don't know if it was, it was Dixie. I, I can't remember who it was anyway. And I, I, I came across, I think uh, the first one was Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim. Yeah. And I'm sure I got that in a charity shop or something. And, um, and I thought it was great. And then I found me talk pretty one day. So, and, and for some reason, I haven't read any more, but I, I, I always mean to go back to them. And I hadn't I, I actually heard him read anything until I, I, I took, did a bit of background for this, and uh, I, I finally listened to the Santa Land Diaries, which is the, the, the his sort of breakout piece. Mm.
1: It's
0: wonderful, it's so funny.
1: He is just a funny person. I'd imagine him at a dinner party just being the entertainment, you know, without even trying. I mean, mm. it's interesting to. Find out if he finds it exhausting
0: because I, I think a lot of work does go into it because I, I was I, I've been looking at interviews of his and also he does this masterclass thing yeah,
1: uh, yeah. which I I
0: was, I was almost tempted to sign up to just see what it's like but he's, he's yeah that would be great uh,
1: yeah.
0: <clears throat> but he he says that he's kept a diary since uh, the seventies I think. And that, I always admire someone who can keep a diary, who can update it every, you know, just before they go to bed every night and that sort of thing. Have you you ever kept a diary? I
1: keep diaries. I've got journals going back to when I was 17. Um, There's a few years I've missed out. I mean, a lot of it is (laughs) introspective (laughs) crud, which is, I read it now. I mean, I do find it funny in a way that, but there must be f- believe,
0: fantastic know. material to mine there for things. It,
1: it? is, but it is good material. And I'm glad I've kept them, even though they're kind of cringeworthy. <laughs> because I am talking about, well, mostly about myself and my mm. feelings about what is going on in my very sort of insular life growing up in the countryside. And I'm I'm writing about people at school, people, friends, boyfriends, you know, and that kind of thing. But but apparently that's quite interesting to other people because <laughs> they can relate and think, oh, actually, i yeah. such a saddo mm. myself. So, yeah, um, no, I, I d- kept
0: I, them. I did try keeping a diary a couple of times and I stopped doing it because I'd look back at what I'd written and I thought, my God. I am boring.
1: <laughs> there is that. Yeah, you, know,
0: you, you I know.
1: Potentially run that risk. But that's yeah. kind of for other people to decide, isn't it? And also if you're gonna show them. I mean, I yeah. write a diary, I write a journal every day because I dream a lot and I just jot mm. down notes and I think, well, potentially they could become sources of inspiration for stories.
2: Yeah. You mm. know,
1: if I put them into any sort of order but also it's kind of a mental health tool where you're just splurging all your your word rubbish or your brain Mm. your brain muck onto the page and that's really why I do it it's almost like a form of therapy I guess that's
0: interesting yeah, I, I was straight up, off David diaries, actually. Yeah, a I know. Guy.
1: Well he's, um, you know, yeah, he's a great uh,
0: the, Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I mean the, the, the Santaland Diaries was was born out of him reading out bits from his diaries was and, and then that led on to his, his first publishing contracts and all that sort of thing. Mm. And uh the other thing he he says, which comes back to you know the, the, the fact that it is a craft and that there's hard work gone into it is he says that he rewrites a piece maybe 15 times I think given what he's said in at least some of his stories about his technophobia mm. um, I wonder if he actually means he writes it out in longhand 15 times I hope <laughs> that's
1: quite time consuming isn't it yeah
0: mm. Be, I mean I I it.
1: guess he does. He's you know, it's it's not uncommon for people to write out by hand and then scribble and then write something out. You know, that's kind of what we used to do, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah,
1: I guess that proves it's sort of in the editing that you get mm. that finely honed story.
0: It, yeah, and, and he says he's constantly searching for the right rhythm, which is it is a theme that's come up so many times in in these this particular podcast. I think it
2: applies oh, okay.
0: to comed, comedy as much, possibly more than any other area. That it, it for it to work, you just need constantly need, need the right the, the right rhythm that, that the story has to sing. Mm.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I'd never
0: thought of it like that.
1: But yeah, you're right. It is you're you're reading as if you're listening. So like with poetry, you're mm. you're hearing it as if someone's speaking. And he writes in first person. So he's he's talking, you know, from his perspective, all these all these stories autobiographical and you're Listening to him, you know, as, as if he's as if he's telling you the story.
0: Mm. Is there a particular example you'd like to uh, to, to read?
1: <laughs> well, it, this kind of reflects on me, I guess. But <laughs> my favourite story in this collection is called Big Boy, and um, mm. it, it's probably not what, what people think it's going to be about. It's actually. It's actually about, I can find it. It's actually about his, he goes to um, a dinner party and goes to the toilet and he finds in there a massive turd that isn't his own and he feels he has to deal with it because otherwise everyone's going to think it's his. Mm. So it's just the way that he describes this. Experience. It's only a couple of pages long, but Hmm. I mean, shall I read you a bit? Yeah, go on. Yes. It was Easter Sunday in Chicago, and my sister Amy and I were attending an afternoon dinner at the home of our friend John. The weather was nice, and he'd set up a table in the backyard so that we might sit in the sun. Everyone had taken their places when I excused myself to visit the bathroom, and there, in the toilet was the absolute biggest turd I had ever seen in my life. No toilet paper or anything, just this long and coiled specimen as thick as a burrito. I flushed the toilet and the big turd trembled. It shifted position, but that was it. This thing wasn't going anywhere. (coughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then he goes on like, and he's it kind of escalates to the point where people are like knocking on the door, and mm. um, and then he's thinking about like his mum and telling him about bowel movements, and 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 how he considers lifting it out the toilet and tossing it out the window, and I mean it's just it it is puerile, but it's also. Yeah. Con- the way that I'd imagine him. And you've seen it in comedy movies it, loads. Like, I think it's in, is it in Along Came Polly? It might be where the the character that goes back to her bathroom. Oh, what's the actor called? I not remember his name. Ben Duda. Anyway, he goes back to. Ben Miller. Ben Miller, yeah. Wasn't
0: it? It was the um, worst week of my life, wasn't it?
1: I thought it was *Along Came Polly*. Oh, and they've had,
0: a, and then
1: he's got, he's got like. And, and he throws stuff. out the window,
0: and, it's, and it smashes through the greenhouse. Through, oh through no the, no no! This is the no. one where
1: he's kind of like, <laughs> he's kind of like just plunging the toilet with her very expensive loofah that her friend has bought her. <laughs> it's got like sentimental value. He starts running the shower, and then he starts, and then. <laughs> And then all the water over the place. It's just ridiculous. Sort of slapstick almost. Mm. But yeah, he's... Just that kind of description of it made me laugh, thinking that that's probably happened to quite a few people yeah.
2: before. Mm.
1: And the cringing embarrassment of it at somebody else's house, taking responsibility for it. You know? So I like that one. And... and he 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 writes it in such a way that you're there with him experiencing it the the Hmm. embarrassment and the you know the the actual feeling of dread as he's going to be found out or he's going to be misunderstood I guess
2: Hmm. Yeah. yeah so
1: so there's that one in the second half of the book I mean he he does focus a lot on his time in France and the fact that he didn't he didn't speak French. He goes to French lessons and that's kind of what the title story, Me Talk Pretty One Day, mm. is about. And when I first looked at the title, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's, that's very xenophobic. <laughs> you know, but when you read it, it's all about him as the inadequate learner who's just trying really hard to to speak this language and and at the same time he's he's met with this (laughs) with this this Nazi of a of a teacher who throws these random words at him and basically abuses all the students Mm. so that's another great one and he writes these, I don't even know how. He said, I wouldn't even know how to say these things because he, because he's he's describing what the teacher is saying as if he is not understanding it. So he's just made up hmm. words.
0: Just throws a load of letters together, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, they're just, <laughs> just random letters. Yeah. You always this. She asked,
0: but I, I love the way that that particular story ends. Yeah, because it it says, uh, over time, it became impossible to believe that any of us would ever improve. Fall arrived and it rained every day, meaning we would now be scolded for the water dripping from our coats and umbrellas. It was mid-October when the teacher singled me out saying, every day spent with you is like having a cesarean section. And it struck me that for the first time since arriving in France, I could understand every word that someone was saying. Hmm. Understanding doesn't mean that you can suddenly speak the language. Far from it. It's a small step. Nothing more, yet its rewards are intoxicating and deceptive. The teacher continued her diatribe and I settled back, bathing in the subtle beauty of each new curse and insult. But it, it, it really pulls the rug from under you, doesn't it? That 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 that, that sort of ending because he's sort of gone from hating the the, the dreadful Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> woman teaching him in fra- French to appreciating the, the fact that she's managed to do it.
1: Yeah, her methods actually work. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he there's a bit in it, isn't there, where they have to say what they hate and she's just so sarcastic back to them. So mm. the Anna who hailed from an industrial town outside of Warsaw and had front teeth the size of tombstones. She worked as a seamstress, enjoyed quiet times with friends and hated the mosquito. Oh, really? The teacher said. How very interesting. I thought that everyone loved the mosquito, but here in front of all the world, you claim to detest him. How is it that we've been blessed with someone as unique and original as you are? Tell us, please. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's just that you can, come,
1: you're there, like witnessing that, thinking, "Shit, she's gonna
0: ask me next." She's gonna ask me next, yeah. Oh god.
1: So he does that so well. You're in that situation, yeah. and you know the dialogue. And I know we've spoken before about dialogue. He
2: mm.
1: places it in such a way that it makes you realize how difficult it is to write dialogue authentically. Without all the, the bits of speech that we tend to chuck in when we're chatting, yeah. so um, yeah, so that's that's a that's a good one too. I think um, I mean I like all of them. They're all they're all great stories. Mm. Uh, it's just some some I could read over and over, and he uses his family quite a lot in the humour. You know, yeah. he's, he's, I don't know how much, I, I, I imagine he is quite close to his family because he mentions his sister Amy quite a lot in his work, doesn't he? Yes. Um, he's, he's act an actress. And yeah, so she, she's mentioned quite a lot in this book as well. And I think I was reading that he had, sold the film rights for this book but he then kind of bailed out he said he, he didn't want it to be made into a film because he worried about how his family would be portrayed mm. and so there is that it's quite jarring really to think yeah that it's, writing like it? so blatantly about them and mm. yet when it comes to Someone else portraying them—he's not comfortable with that. Mm. It's got to come from him. So uh, yeah, I guess he's <laughs> owning that in a way. You know, it's his—it's his baby, his his family.
0: Mm. It, I, you know, I always wonder about these these people who, who sort of use all their use their own lives so closely. I mean, mm. Klausgaard and and, and that lot Mm. I mean I've I've read a few of his books and they are
1: it's difficult hard
0: hard going (laughs) well it's difficult to
1: discern what is the truth and what is what is embellished isn't it with writing Mm. about people you know or or you think they are the actual family or you think they are Mm. real people and I mean do you check, do you say to them I'm gonna write about you. I've written a story about you. or Do you just do it and then it comes out into the world and they find the out? Other, I don't know the what the, the consequences. Is, but... Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I've, I've got a feeling. I, hasn't going back to Carl over, God, is it I think one of his one of his ex, his ex-wife or one of his ex-wives has actually produce her own book about it or something or did I not I write, like a response or, or written own like name, a kind of... remember, <laughs> like, this, this 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 didn't happen at all. That but, but, you know It's like the could, rap artist it. isn't it when one yeah. like, one releases the yes. song and then the other <laughs> rap artist is like doing a like a fly yeah. to it. They're like bitching at
1: each other through this sort of creative I'm
0: mean, uh, there's, there's got to be a scope for a great comic novel then I, I, unless someone's done it right someone must have done it already.
1: I think you need to line that one up, Jonathan. You could,
0: yeah.
1: you could knock that one out easy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, we'll see you about just, that.
1: <laughs> you just have to kind of find someone to to spar with, I guess.
2: Mm.
1: Who's on your wavelength and with a, yeah. with a bit of an edge, I guess. I mean, I'm That's just right, hopeless yeah. at writing comedy. I'm so melancholic. Everything's drenched in sadness or death (laughs) or destruction and yet I really really appreciate writing that makes me laugh and I laugh all the time I'm constantly laughing often inappropriately at (laughs) people people's people's misfortune you know and I and I do worry sometimes that I'm just going a bit too far
0: I bet you enjoyed the I almost saw this girl get killed uh, story then
1: Inside
0: this one. Yes. Hang on. Well, that's oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, that one. Yeah, near the end. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, yeah that was funny. Yeah, where, where he, he sees an accident at, at a fairground, doesn't he? And, and they're um, all kind of
1: waiting. for her They're to walk, also waiting aren't for they? this
0: this poor woman to fall off the thing, and, so that he can actually sort of tell this sort of story. But um, I, I saw a girl get killed once. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you,
0: you, you feel you feel slightly dirty reading it, but you, you know exactly that you, that he's he's tapped into to uh, an unpleasant instinct that we all have.
1: Yeah, and we That's do it. all laugh when someone trips, don't we? Or yeah. you know, or someone gets splattered with a cake, or whatever. You know, it's it's part of our human nature to laugh and there's like that link with the fear response you know you laugh when you're mm. afraid so I guess you're always worrying could it be me is it me am I going to be the butt of the joke and he often brings himself back to be the butt of the joke doesn't he in his story
0: yeah I would, I wonder if that is maybe to make it safe
1: Yeah, like kind of, yeah, sort of like pulling it back. It's
0: You're okay laughing at this because it was me, and I'm I'm okay with it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's sort of yeah.
1: Because there's there's no nastiness there. There's no. no, Yeah, uh, he always brings himself into it, or his own feelings, or his own inadequacies, so that he can he can make fun of people. So yeah, maybe that's the key there. It, mm. It's not about anybody else, it is about him. Because mm. and that comes back to the kind of the writing in the first person, doesn't it? Because he could yeah. easily have turned these experiences into fictional stories or, you know, or third person short stories, but they're essays, they're things that have happened to him I mean imagine having the, all these amazing moments in your life that you've turned into books <clears> you know <throat> lots and lots of books and he's made a living out of it it's his, yeah. his life's work
0: okay so shall we talk a bit about uh, your work then
1: well you can if you want yeah
0: Again, well...
1: I've only had one book published
0: so, so just, far about, about <laughs> podcasting and stuff as well yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean th- th- as, a, as a horror novel the text terms lover is slightly outside the premises of this podcast but uh, i'm not really that bothered because the, the the last guy i was on we talked about rock music so <laughs> <laughs> it's good to, to
1: diversify
0: and uh, well yeah different, different
1: themes yeah
0: yeah. So the taxidermist lover. Uh, am I right in thinking that this was the book that you started on the bath spa? M A.
1: That's right. Yeah, I started it sort of halfway through because I'd already written half of another one that I ditched. Yeah. Which was focused also occult. So that was also it was quite, quite. to do with the. Tach-
0: yeah, I, yeah, I remember reading bits of that and and. and uh, it was. It was really off It was. Really so it's. <laughs> It's fascinating, but yeah.
1: But you remember that one, yeah. Yeah, I I shelved that one and I used bits of it for
0: Mm. a
1: different novel I'm writing, but the whole I mean, the tarot is such a rich source of writing uh, inspiration. Mm. People use it constantly, don't they, for art, writing, music, any sort of art form really and mm. so i i got really just tangled up in that one and then I wrote that the first piece of the taxidermist love for that spoken word event that we had
0: yeah yeah I remember that
1: and I remember, we I remember like, hearing
0: you read that out and I thought oh that's got something
1: yeah you actually came up to me at the end of yeah. you and like, oh, I really like that and a few people did and I thought oh maybe I should continue with the story <laughs> so yeah so I switched and um I finished most of it on the course, and then, like you do, you spent a lot of time pitching it to different Mm. agents and publishers, putting it to one side, getting on with life, and then eventually got an American publisher last year.
0: Mm. So Um, how did that come about? Because, I mean, it it did take quite, quite a few twists and turns. I mean, we've all had twists and turns in the publication yeah. process but did i mean did you ever wonder if it was ever going to happen
1: no i always thought it would get
0: published hmm. i mean it, you, it had... you always struck me as someone who's got a fair bit of inner strength for that sort of thing
1: yeah i think yeah tenacity yeah i kind <laughs> yeah. of keep persevering with it because i thought well i'd written a book and i felt i needed to get it out there but the, the consistent feedback was your writing is very beautiful but we don't know where to fit the story
2: mm.
1: on the shelf, you know? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. what, what do you mean? Like, it's a story, just just publish it. And then, you know, it found its home with CamCat, the publishers in America, because the editor there just really loved it. And well, first of all, it got rejected because they couldn't place it in one of their companies. And then they set up this new company Mm. And part of the company would be genre fiction, which was horror and fantasy and sci-fi and that kind of thing, which always gets sidelined, I guess, in 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 literature circles, doesn't it? Yeah. Genre fiction. So they put it as a gothic horror, and really it is. When I when I look at it now, of course it's gothic horror. A lot mm. of it harks back to Frankenstein you know there's the whole trope of the landscape being a creature and uh, Mm. um, the place having its own ominous sense so yeah I, I, I was certain it would get published I just didn't know when and yeah so it came out last year and I've had Quite good feedback from it, which was Too great.
0: Right. I mean, you must have been thrilled to see it in the, in the New York Times.
1: Yeah, I mean well, that was real
0: vindication if, if, if ever there is.
1: And that sort of came about through the publisher as well, and sending them sending off reviews. And I really didn't anticipate the sort of reviews. And you know, you're sort of told don't read reviews. Mm. They'll mess <laughs> your head up. <laughs> I I still get. I still get feedback like people send me messages and say they've read it like the second time and I was like wow you read it wow. twice and mm. yeah I like that I like hearing back from readers actually like how they found it or what they enjoyed about it but at the same time I'm I'm just a little bit sort of checking myself thinking come on you've written one book you need to write more <laughs> you need to just get on and get get some more out right there and mm. which sort of it it makes it makes me struggle I think I struggle as a writer and I think you put other things first and then you feel guilty and then you have a little splurge of creativity and then you think oh I'll get I'll i send something off and something else gets published in a magazine or whatever. And that's uh, a bit of encouragement. So yeah, the taxidermist lover was, I still really love it. I love the story and I, mm. and I'm going to write a prequel to it rather than a sequel. Mm. Mm. So that's, we're well, not going to write, I am, writing it's in my head it's written in my head you're not supposed to say you're writing are you you're supposed to say you've written it mm. so the prequel <laughs> which will be henry's voice the actual taxidermist right.
2: yeah
1: because he doesn't Talk really about. he's quite a dark horse in this novel mm. it's all from scarlet's head and her perspective of yeah. her experience living with him but you don't really get much of a sense of him in it he's sort of almost in the background i guess she's talking mm. to him but it's all it's all her second person
0: yeah i i was interested in what you said about the, the the landscape as a character because the, there is a fantastic sense of place in the book because i mean the, the the levels is such a weird weird place anyway mm. places sort of sort of damp and, and floods and there's also a vague sense of sense of illegality about the levels it. you can always imagine lots of the, where the law of the land doesn't quite hold
1: yeah because it's because the land wasn't really meant to be land it was always mm. sea and it's been separated up into parts of land with these reams which are also water ditches and so the water is always present there and water is changeable and, and very atmospheric. You know, you've got mm. the mist, you've got different seasons, you've got ice, you've got, and yeah, so the landscape's constantly changing, even though it's pretty much stayed the same unbuilt on and, and just, I don't know, the, the, the same plants it's it's relatively untouched apart mm. from what man has done to separate fields and you know you get the migrating birds coming in and then they're mm. going so there's that transitory aspect of it with nature always moving but it's got that ancient feel hasn't it because yeah. we've got like the Roman roads and then we've got sort of the going back to the stone the stone age as well isn't it with certain parts of the levels where they yeah, there's, had there's, tracks between them and i just clusterbree,
0: like must be tall looming over it as well
1: yeah and i like the feeling you get when you go out onto the levels mm. and the sheep are munching away and you go up these little mounds like burrow mumps and you mm. look out across and you think actually it's not that level it's quite bumpy <laughs> there's a few <laughs> yes. like you know there's, there's these little hillocks and things and a few odd farmhouses and I just I just think there's a piece about it but also it is quite melancholic as well the willows mm. and the weeping willows you know and and the the withy beds and and the the sounds that the birds make as they're roosting is mm. sort of the things you would get in a horror film. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, so, yeah. so I, I I remember walking out to Shatwick Heath, the Na- local nature reserve at mm. night, you know, just at dusk, which is obviously when all the birds come in and roost. And I just I remember feeling you could just go out there and film a horror movie because the light is amazing, the the sound of the wind through the rushes, and the which sounds like water anyway, and the sound of the birds. So like the bittern booming is a really weird sound. Have you Mm. ever heard a bittern?
0: I don't think I have.
1: They're quite Mm. rare to hear. Mm. It echoes and it does actually boom. They say Mm. it booms because it sort of, you don't really know which direction it's coming from. It sort of throws its voice, does it from its throat, and that's quite a spooky sound. So, Mm. yeah, I just tried to fit as much of the natural landscape in that book because it does flavor. The kind of mood and the fact that it's about taxidermied animals as well. So, mm. yeah. yeah.
0: What is it about? In. What is it about taxidermy, though? It, it, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating area, isn't it? But I, I, I love it.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm. I've, I mean, I've, I've, have you ever been to the Rothschild collection at Tring?
1: No, I've only been to see sort of. The biggest collection I saw was the Walter Potter Museum, which is mm. now sadly all split up, which was kind of hybrid taxidermy. It was the animals that were put into little curious poses and, mm. and scenarios. And, yeah, so no, no, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen the
0: Rothschild one. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's an offshoot of the Natural History Museum.
1: Oh, okay, yeah.
0: They have all sorts of odd sort of... Cabinets or displays put together of lots of wild, um, um, multi-birds of paradise and that sort of thing, and uh, all sorts of weird stuff. Is it true
1: to the animal, though? Is it? Will they mix? Fairly
0: true. I tell you what. The the one that really, I'm so disappointed that in Verona, in our guidebook, when we went there, it said that in the Natural History Museum. There, there is a gallery where they have loads of fake animals, fake taxidermied animals. I thought, oh yeah, oh, that sounds brilliant. I want to see this, <laughs> and it had gone. They, 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 had actually sort of decided it was a bit silly, and they, they'd got rid of it all,
1: which is oh. such a shame because <laughs> they need to update their guidebook then, don't
0: they? Well, yeah, it, 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 it was, uh, it, was uh, it was the rough guide actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great disappointment that.
1: yeah the thing about taxidermy is people have a strong reaction to it so mm. they will yeah. either love it or hate it and there is, there is an opinion on it because when you actually delve deep and ask people what they really think of it they have to acknowledge the fact that it is the skin of a or it was the skin of a living animal made Hmm. into made to look like the creature is still alive and that's that taps into your your own fears of death or your own mortality so I think taxidermy was popular sort of in the Victorian ages wasn't it because Hmm. they were fascinated with death (laughs) and um, their own lives I guess so and then it had a, it had a, it had a period of time where it just wasn't, you know, you couldn't give it away, and now it's become back as this, this art form, which is what I have put into the taxidermist lover, where Felix de Souza is this, this showy taxidermist who, who is creating these weird, imagined, fictional fantasy creatures out of real life dead animals and so it it's going to evoke a, a response from readers or people that you know they're thinking is that I don't know how i was supposed to respond to that <laughs> is it mm. funny is it or am I allowed to laugh because an animal has been used this way you know and I've had some sort of reviews like I think that's where the the horror aspect comes into it is mm. you're thinking what whoa I'm not even sure if that's it is a thing you know it is it is an art form there are some very famous taxidermists that create hybrid taxidermy I've actually got a book here that Thomas Grinfeld, he was he lodged in my brain many years ago because he wrote he, what well, he'd made these series of taxidermy animals called misfits.
2: Mm.
1: And they were, you know sort of part kangaroo, part peacock. And that's really what what I could see in my head that this taxidermist Henry was creating. He sent me, um, I contacted him actually after my book was published Mm. and he sent me all his back catalogue of his artwork, which is like these beautiful art books. Wow. So I've got them and some postcards of the Misfits, but he says he's, in a way, he's kind of known for the Misfits, but not his other artwork, which I think (laughs) he's a bit, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of thinking, oh, that's, it's, it's not the only thing he did. Yeah. (laughs) Like, <laughs> as well,
0: I so. yeah.
1: yeah I loved his work
0: though he's a German artist so that's <laughs> lover strange thing I found actually before we move on it's i when I was looking for David Sidaris on youtube I found an interview with him and then there's a sidebar on that sidebar next to it uh, which led on to a strange video showing with Amy Sedaris showing around her apartment. Oh, yeah. Church.
1: His sister.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was that was extraordinary enough. But then the sidebar on that had uh, <laughs> Dieter Von Tees showing oh, you yeah. around her apartment, which is stuffed with loads of taxidermy. Oh, is it? She's the burlesque. Absolutely. It's doctor. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And she's got this absolutely mad... Maximalist house, which I, I think would just be a little bit too busy to live in. But I'll <laughs> it's have to send chopped, them book yeah, you, you, yeah <laughs> it, My God, yes.
2: I didn't even know you that. Must. Great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. And send it to find yeah, find her send it to her. Yeah. And uh, yeah, mention the the New York, yeah, gear it. Right. Fine. Yep. Got your uh, quote for um for the next one.
2: Brilliant. Yeah, that's <laughs> that kind of try that. yeah I want
0: to hear what happens. I want to hear what happens about that.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know. Like it, it, you it's see w- it.
0: it's worth seeing, seeing the video anyway, because it's it yeah, yeah, the most extraordinary it? house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love the way that you go off on these tangents.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, I'll
1: definitely look yeah. that up after.
0: So you, you have a podcast, which is Procrastination Station.
1: Yes. Which and, you have so, been what on. what
0: what led you to uh, put a podcast together? To
1: stop procrastinating about it. Yep. Um, <laughs> I had the idea a long time before I started it, but I think my tech worries stopped me. I've not really been very techy other than just using a computer and you know learning as I go, and. I was always chatting to different people I know a lot of writers and poets and artists and I thought it would just be really good to get some conversation going about their creative process so not specifically about procrastination although that is a thing I wanted to expose how people work because often it's a very solitary thing writing or creating art you're not Unless you're collaborating, you're you're still not showing like the workings or the journey of the work. You're you often just show the end result. So, the procrastination station podcast was or is. I'm still recording it to speak to people about their creative process and what stops them starting a project or a piece of work or what they find difficult and also what they find easy mm. so yeah it's and we keep keep them to like half an hour and often just come up with these really interesting conversations i hadn't anticipated so you think you know how someone works but often you don't
0: mm.
1: <laughs> until you've spoken yeah. to yeah
0: <laughs> i think everyone has their own their own way of working don't they because it's like whenever people put up you know rules that you must write something every day or you must do this that and the other Mm. there's always someone who's does it in a totally different way yeah and you just have to work with whatever works for you
1: yeah that's what I found out Jonathan it's it is what works for you because I ask people to give advice to would-be artists or writers whatever but it is just advice because i think it comes from within you i mean i can't force myself to write something i find that really really difficult and i in it often doesn't get used so like you were saying about using writing prompts mm. it's all that sometimes clams me up <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. because
1: i'm because it's not a natural flow mm so i I gather all that kind of information, so it's probably in there somewhere, and then i and then I set it down on paper, so I've just got random pieces of paper everywhere, and I think some people work like that, some people are very organized, and some people have like pin boards like a, another horror writer, Ross Jeffrey I yeah. interviewed yeah. he's got this. He gets his wife to write sort of in his notebook. She draws sort of calligraphy of the next title of his people or his book or his novella, and he he sketches out images of characters. So he knows what they look like. And he pins them all up, and he's got sort yeah. of little pictures or or objects that relate to that character. So like little mementos around a bit like a serial killer I might do it <laughs> 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 with the totems they collect.
2: Yeah,
1: so yeah, I like the idea of that because I'm a bit of a collector and I will, mm. you know, I'll find a feather and I'll think, Oh, I need to keep that, or a stone. I've got a collection of hag stones, you know, the pebbles with the hole in the middle. Oh, right Which I always find when I go to a beach. I just look Mm. down and I find them. And they're supposed to be like portals that you look through to see Mm. another world. So Mm -hmm. I've got all these all these portals on my fireplace. So I think I'm a bit of a witch actually.
0: (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, it's a compliment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah,
1: say
0: the podcasts. I, or, I can't remember what you asked. Probably gone off tangent. I, I, I can't remember what I asked, but I think it, it's yeah, it's about what what why is why you set up a podcast and 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 I mean, do, do you intend to keep on on with it?
1: Yeah, I think as long as I've got people to yeah. interview, I'm speaking to Emily tonight. Emily Cott, oh right, I'll look forward to, cool to that one. Yeah, and I think it
0: would be really interesting to hear what her work I is. I would imagine she's phenomenally organised. and Yeah, yeah. She has masses of spreadsheets and and everything uh, everything laid out. She will do sort of exactly a thousand words a day or whatever. And, it's uh... the
1: journalist in
0: her, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's, um, she's yeah, I'll be the most professional person I've ever come across, I think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, very disciplined. Yeah, so I'm but... speaking to her, but yes, yeah, so as long as I've got people to chat to, I'll just continue it. I mm. I don't really know how you promote other than social media or if you, <sighs> you know, how you get followers or how you monetize it. I just don't. I just did it because I enjoyed mm. doing it. And I'll just carry on doing it for as long as it feels it's the yeah. right thing to do.
0: That seems fair. Yeah. Hmm. so what next have you got lined up and i and, knew and you had a memoir shortlisted uh for misle- mislexia competition didn't you
1: yeah have you my got memoir, any plans to do anything more with that i've well i've now got an agent which i didn't have back then oh, right. so my next project is probably to get another novel out there and then pitch the memoir, that was the kind of plan. Mm. I'm not sure though, I mean, I have written it, it's written, it's just a case of timing when it comes out. It's not been pitched to anyone yet, but I, I think the next thing will be the next novel, which is totally unrelated to The Taxidermist Lover, and then the prequel to the taxidermist lover so they're, they're, they're on the, the computer and they're sort of blue tacked up in front of me on my writing wall with loads of scribbles and notes and post-its so it's a bit chaotic in here and I probably should order them so I'm hoping to get some tips from Emily tonight <laughs> <laughs> how I can do that. I've even got like bits of string with paper hanging off it with paper clips so (laughs) yeah it's all interesting isn't it like how Mm. uh, I try and get my brain to expunge some of the stuff so so that it produces something rather than just churning around in my head
0: yeah well good luck with all that then Thank you. And, uh, thank you very much for coming along. Thank you for
1: asking yeah. me. And, well, you know, I would really recommend anything David Sedaris has written or to listen to him speak because, yeah, he's one of the funniest
0: mm, satirists. He's very good. Well, this place is intended to be free from adverts, as if anyone would pay to advertise her anyway. But if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to reward us by buying our books. Polly's on Twitter as Polly Hall Writer, and her website is at PollyHall.co.uk. I'm on Twitter as John Pinnock, and my website is at JonathanPinnock.com. And do please rate, review, and subscribe. You'll find this podcast in all the usual places. Next time, I'll be talking to the writer Gabby Hutchinson Crouch about John Hegley's Family Pack. As well as her own work, including the absolutely wonderful Darkwood trilogy. See you then. <laughs> right, and I think that is a wrap. Is that At the end? Yes, that is the end. Perfect. Stop
2: recording.